much for your word. I thank you for the richness that it has, even, Lord, from things that just seem to be so regular. And uh, God, I pray that this morning that we will look with new eyes, God, at, at a familiar verse and, and, and realize its impact on us. And uh, Father, that you will help us to, God, be, because to marvel at how wondrous you are and, and to marvel at, at your love for us, God, that we would love you the same. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have lost something before? How many of you have lost your keys before? I am so glad that you found them this morning. I'm glad that you are here and made it to church. How many of you have lost money before? Lost money? Okay. Hopefully it was that you misplaced it, not that you lost it gambling. Um, How many of you have lost your wedding ring before? I've done that. Oh, more of you than I thought. That is... I am happy to say that I got a replacement ring and I'm still married to the same woman. Um, So uh, it happens, right? How many of you feel like that you have lost your minds? I constantly like feel like I live in that state. I have lost my mind a lot. Um, Maybe a little bit more serious one, okay? This uh, not intending to stab or make anybody feel bad, but how many of you have lost a loved one? Yeah, there's a lot of lot of loved ones that we've lost before. You know, perhaps we've lost something else. Perhaps we've lost impact and meaning of something that we know so well and maybe take for granted. Okay? Like, an easy example, it would be like that we know how to load the dishwasher. Right? And you just put the dishes in there. And, but we take for granted that there's a, there's a machine that washes it for us. And we don't have to do that. And so, yeah, woohoo! Um, but this is something that, you know, it loses its meaning, you know, and, and we, we get mad when it finally breaks. But see, there's something else that has lost its meaning and, and something else that loses its meaning because we become so familiar for it. And perhaps this is the way that we are with the gospel message. The gospel message. Perhaps this is the way that we are every Christmas time when we should be building anticipation during Advent about this coming of the Christ and, and recentering our faith in Him. Maybe it's because we equate the gospel or the good news with all of the other kind of good news that we get. Like, I just got a job promotion. That's great news. Or, man, I'm getting married. That's good news. Or we're having a baby. Great news. Or I found money in my pocket. That's awesome news. It's great. Good news. Or I saved a bunch of money on my car insurance by switching. Come on, you had to see that coming, right? <laughs> this is all good news. And, 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 and oh yeah, Jesus came to earth. That's good news too. Listen. This good news of Jesus Christ far exceeds any other good news that we have. Any other good news that we have on this earth, man, that, that, that Jesus became flesh. Maybe it's that we've become so routine about our faith. Church is just another part of life. It's what I do on Sunday morning. Even when coming to church knowing what's going to happen, Like we surprised you this morning. (laughs) You don't know what's happening next. But you you come and you you think you know what's going to happen and you know the message that's going to be preached and it's all the same. It becomes routine. Or even like I said with this time of year and the the things that you're doing to, to get ready and the preparations and the parties and the presents and the places and the prodigious feasting. It took a long time to put all those P's together by the way. 
But says, listen, this can become a routine as well and lose the impact and the meaning of what we do at Christmas time. Listen, we take for granted how marvelous the majesty of God and Him coming down to earth. And when we start taking that for granted, it affects our faith. We really don't live much differently than the world does. It's just maybe a cleaner version of it. We don't cuss or smoke or drink. We may serve people, but that's really to appease our own feelings of value and and joyfulness. And and usually when we do serve people, it's never to the point of real sacrifice. You see, that explains a lot of the typical American church culture. And this world isn't much different than than it was way back in Genesis chapter 2 when the fall of man occurred that when centered into the world. Now there are more people here on earth to sin, but really there is nothing new under the sun as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. There are no new sins created. We just happen to see something different that we've never seen before, but that's not new. People are still living in rebellion against God. People are living in sinfulness and they're broken and trying to live their life in their own strength and power. They live without the hope of Jesus Christ in their lives. And what's worse is that if, they, if things do go bad for them and they do try to come to the church, what will they see? They'll see lukewarm Christians without a passion or a love for God and they are stuck in their routines and, well, they won't see much difference in what they're doing at all. You see, in our routine, we have lost the wonder of who God is. We have lost how marvelous it is that the holy creator of the universe would come down and live in the unholy created beings, among the unholy created beings to die for them so that they can have eternal life. Where's the awe and the wonder? How marvelous is that? And today we'll specifically be looking at, this month we're going to be looking through how marvelous God is as we build up to to Christmas season. and How marvelous is God? And today specifically, how marvelous is the love of God? How marvelous is the love of God? In preparation for this message, I have to confess, I was not prepared. Because I came to this verse that we're going to be using. It's a verse that is used a lot. And it's a verse that is used even among, uh, in the secular world. You see it at sporting events. You go to cookout and you see it on their cups. And it is probably the one verse that probably everyone in this room can quote backwards to forward. And that is John 3.16. And you see, I have known this verse since probably about the time I could speak. And yet, Somehow, the routine of Christianity just rolls off the tongue, but its impact has been lost in my heart. This morning, I was actually, the first service I told you, I told the first service that I was really nervous about preaching this because in so doing, I, I feel like I have to confess to you first that I was that way, that I was in this routine, that... Um, 
that I know what this feels like. I had to look in the mirror. And so the words that I say to you this morning are not directed to point my finger at you to say, you do this, do this, this we, you're, you're wrong in this. It's not to condemn you, but it's for all of us to examine ourselves as the way that I had to examine myself over these very words that will be spoken this morning. So, um, again, I, just, I, I was not prepared for the way that this verse would impact me the way that it did. Um, but uh, we'll be looking at John chapter 3. Uh, if you want to turn into your uh, Bibles there, John chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, and uh, we'll use the, this whole passage this morning. Um, you can use the pew Bibles in front of you, uh, and if you don't have a Bible, you can take that home with you as our gift to you. Uh, the verses will all be, also be up on the screen. I'll be reading from the uh, Christian Standard Bible, uh, which is a different version than those in the chair, uh, but you can feel free to take those home as well. Um, I also want to make a note for you, too, that on the back of your program, on the back of your bulletin there is, uh, you'll find the notes section for the sermons. I don't care if you take a note for me. I do. It would, hurt. It would make my feelings better if you took notes. I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, there's a note section on that, and then uh, underneath of that, on the bottom of there, there's, a, there's something practical that you can do together as a family. We are actually, this Advent series that we are doing, How Marvelous, is matching up with the uh, C3 Kids Ministry, and so everything that the kids are learning back there, uh, you guys are going to be learning here, and so we're doing this as a whole church family, and you can take these practical things to back home as ways in which you can uh, just kind of fortify what you're learning here and what they're learning there as a family together. If, they, if, you, if you don't have uh, kids in the, in the ministry back there, uh, still take these steps and do them as couples, or if you're single, and you, know, you can take these home and uh, tweak them a little bit to share with your neighbors. You know, if, if we can fully grasp, if we can fully grasp how marvelous God's love is for the world, then we can love Him with our whole hearts and love others the same way that He does. So this morning, before we get into our passage, I want to kind of set the stage. I want to take a, a quick blast through the Old Testament to help us uh, kind of get a better understanding of what Jesus is going to say. And I think that you might actually see some similarities in, in what I'm about to share with you. You see, uh, God, in Genesis chapter 1, God created the world and He created it perfect. It was beautiful. And then men rebelled against God and sin entered into the world. And then God continues to love his creation and promises one that will come to save the world from their sins. Now, that's all basically the very first three chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 through 3, right there. Then man is so rebellious, though, against God that he needs to reboot the world by flooding the earth. And now, but he still shows his love for man and saved mankind through Noah. God then works to develop men of faith known as the patriarchs of faith that will bring forth the nation of Israel from which will come the promised one that he promised in Genesis chapter 3. Israel was to be a holy nation set apart from the world. Israel grows great in numbers in their captivity in Egypt, but God rescues them, and in so doing, He creates the law that they were to follow and ushers them into the promised land. In the law, the, uh, the forgiveness of sins was through rituals and sacrifices that happened maybe once a year. This was the day of atonement that would roll back the sins of the nation. And anyone who was not of Israel, they were known as Gentiles, would have to become followers of the law in order to get close to God. 
Throughout their history, there were times that the priests of Israel would become so ritualistic in their temple services, they lost the meaning of what it meant to be a holy nation, and they would offer up unacceptable sacrifices to God. Additionally, they would adopt worldly practices that were contrary to what God wanted for them as a holy nation. Israel would be close to God, and then they would rebel against God. And then they would be close to God, and they would rebel against God. They were brought into captivity by other nations, and yet God continued to love them as a chosen nation and bring them back to Him and to their land. There were also people in that time that were before Jesus that, that were religious leaders. They were known as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And, and they would create new rules to help people obey the law of God. But it became more than that, and their intentions were probably good at the beginning. I mean, we don't want to get close to sin, and so let's create something. But, but what happened was that they created a whole new set of laws that they, they held higher than God's law. And it quickly became a matter of making God unattainable for anyone. They were more concerned about condemning people than teaching about the true nature of God. So, for instance, like if God's law said, do not stand in this one spot, they would say, okay, well, we don't want to stand in that spot and so uh, break the law of God, so we're going to stand over here in this spot. And, you know, um, I can still see that. I'm gonna, we're going to put something between us and that. No, that's not good enough. Let's, um, we're gonna, I'm going to build a fence. No, let's build a wall. Let's build a wall and let's paint it, let's paint it red for danger. And let's say, oh, this, don't, don't go near this. In fact, let's, let's not even look at the wall. Because if we look at the wall, then we are in danger of sinning against God. And so let's not, let's not even think about the wall. What wall? And then someone would come along and they would say, oh, look, a red wall. And they would say, how dare you? You are sinning against God. Do you see what happened here? You see what happened in, in the process. They were trying to protect something, and that started out as a good thing, but then they started condemning people for just breaking their protection stuff. And so additionally at this time, Rome, they ruled uh, in, in all their brutality that quarter of the world, and under their rule, Israel lived in oppression from sinful men. And so sin still reigned in the world. There's no hope. They didn't feel any worth. And it seemed like there was no God at that time. And this is life before Jesus Christ. Now this sermon is a little bit unique because today is the only day that we're going to look at something that Jesus says about himself um, further in. So this is like 30 years after Jesus had been born. All right, So that's a little bit different. Everything else will be about building up in anticipation of his birth. So in our text today, we meet a man by the name of Nicodemus. He was a teacher of the law. It was the very people that, that built up all these laws. And now he wasn't just a teacher. He was the higher up in the teaching chain, like university-level professor. And all he knew and understood was the old Pharisee law. All he knew was the old Pharisee law, and he lacked understanding of God's law. Nicodemus approached Jesus at night, and he challenged, Jesus challenges him to forget what he thinks he knows about God and come to a true understanding of what the Scripture teaches. 
Then after talking about being born of water and of spirit, he tells Nicodemus this in verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Now this is a, a reference to uh, Numbers chapter 21. You can jot that down and go back and read that so you get a better understanding uh, of what that means. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, and anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil for everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that he his deeds may not be exposed but anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God listen there's three things that I want us to pull out of this this morning out of this whole passage and the first is this we have to understand God's love for us. We have to understand how marvelous God's love for us is. So how can, how can we describe God's love? Many have tried throughout the years, and among most recent ones, uh, words like unfathomable or indescribable or incomprehensible, or as we just sang earlier, marvelous or overwhelming and endless, and on and on and on we go about different words that come to mind that cannot describe God's love. There's a song, a hymn that, uh, called The Love of God, and, and the third verse of that song talks about how if the earth's oceans contained ink instead of water, and there was enough paper, and all of man were, were, were able to write, then everybody, would there be enough words that could be written? Would there be enough ink in the ocean? Would there be enough paper in the world that could actually pen the love that God has for us? I think not. I think not. Now look, there are two Greek words for love that are used in the New Testament. Agape and phileo. You probably have heard this before. Both have been used though when talking about God's love. Phileo is a close affection for someone like a brother. Okay, We get the idea of Philadelphia from this. Right? What does the Philadelphia mean? City of brotherly love, right? And so that's kind of the idea of, of Philadelphia. I have affection for you. But, but more times, most of the time in the New Testament, the word that, that is used for God's love is the word agape. In his book, The Faith Once for All, Jack Cottrell defines agape as God's self-giving affection and selfless concern that led him to actively seek the happiness and well-being of his image-bearing creatures. I know there's a lot of big words in that. I'm going to repeat that, okay? God's self-giving affection and selfless concern that led him to give to actively seek the happiness and well-being of his image-bearing creatures. 
Now, the happiness that's talked about here is not what we think we need to be happy, but rather happiness the way that God knows as best for us for eternity. Listen to what David writes in Psalm 103. He writes these words. He says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. Oh, thank God for that. That He has not punished us the way that we deserved. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. We are dust. You know, it completely amazes me that the Creator of all that we see from the farthest of the billions of galaxies that exist, each containing billions of stars and celestial objects, to the finest molecules that we can see in a microscope, both of which seem infinite and incomprehensible to grasp, from all of the beauty and the rhythms of the earth. And that He would consider us who are dust, as David said, to be the crowning jewel of His creation. Those that bear His image. In spite of the fact that we continually run away from God, He loves us enough to send His only Son to this earth not to condemn the world, but to save it as John, as, as, uh, John records in verse 17 of chapter 3. The world wasn't perfect. People were still living in rebellion of God. If, if God needed the world to be perfect, we, we would still be waiting for Jesus today. But rather, it was because the world was imperfect that Jesus had to come. So that those who would believe in His name would not perish, but have eternal life. And this is how marvelous the love of God is. That we do not have to be perfect for Him to love us. God loves us in spite of our rebellion in Him, in spite of our failure, in spite of our hurt. He wants to give us eternal life, but He wants us to love His Son Jesus is one and only Son. Which brings us to the second thing. So we have God's love for us. How, how marvelous is, our God, is God's love for us? But, but what about our love for God? What about our love for God? There in verse 19, Jesus says that people are, are lovers of the dark and they've rejected the light. He is the light. And they've rejected Him. You see, salvation is not a one-sided love any more than a healthy marriage is a one-sided love. It can't just be that God loves me and that's it. We have to share our love for Him. We should be so infatuated with God's love that it overtakes our thoughts and our minds and leaves us wanting more. So, um, my wife and I, before we, when we were dating... 
I'll, you know, you'd probably know where this is going to go, but I'm going to tell you anyways. The, um, when we were dating, man, I, I would get so nervous around her. Like, I mean, butterflies all the time. I mean, it wasn't just like the first couple times that I met her, you know, that we hung out. It was all the time. Like, for at least a year, maybe more. I don't know. But it would get me so nervous, I would actually physically throw up. And so I had the right to tell her, you make me sick. So, um, <laughs> but listen, listen, I was so infatuated with her when we started dating. And before then, you can talk to her, she'll tell you. Um, but even before then, I, and, and while we were dating, man, it was all I could think about. She was all I could think about. When I was at work, oh, I love my I wonder what she's up to today. And then I'd get in trouble because I'd call her during work hours and stuff. And, and, and talk to her, want to talk with her all the time. Or, you know, I would adjust my schedule to, to stop doing the things that I want to do because I want to do stuff that she wants to do because I wanted to hang out with her more and, and I wanted to be with her more. I was so infatuated. You see, you shouldn't have to make time for the things and the people that you love. But rather, what you love becomes evident by what you spend your time doing or by what you spend your money on. Or what consumes your thoughts. I've become astonished. And this is where I confess that I kind of get into a little bit of trouble with this. I've become astonished at how much we want more entertainment and TV shows. I mean, I'm not going to judge you because I'm right here with you. But how many binge TV show watchers? Like, anybody binge watch stuff? I binge. And it's awful, isn't it? Like... Oh, I mean, you really don't want to watch it again, but you're like, okay, the next one, I, what's up with the next one? I've got to see what happens. It leaves you like cliffhangers and all that stuff. And then, or what about movies? Like, like you watch it and it gets you so pumped. Like, yeah, let's watch it again. Or how about sports? I'm not looking at anybody. About the excitement that we get over sports that we have to have more and more and more. Or what about the, the, the need for more money or prestige or work all in the name of making a better life for ourselves. And the list goes on that we could put stuff there. Things that we love doing. But let me ask you a question. When was the last time you wanted more Bible study? Like, when was the last time that you read a story in the Bible and thought, man, that was awesome. I want to read that again. Or, my prayer time was just what I needed. I want to stay here and do that some more. See, I think we've fallen in love with the wrong things. We have fallen in love with the wrong things. Francis Chan, in his book, Crazy Love, he promotes the idea that we should love spending time with God so much and, and being in His Word that you have to be pulled away from it or that you are so disappointed because you have to go to work. i gotta, I got to leave God's presence because I have to go to work. That's the way that it should work. But let me ask this. I mean, if it was a, a ball game and you had to turn this big game off to go to work, ooh, oh, what a disappointment. How inconvenient. Listen, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 40, Jesus lays it out real flat. He says, the first greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. To love God with all of your being. To have Him consume your thoughts and your minds and of who you are and transform our desires. To leave us searching for ways to express that love to Him. 
And it's not in the routine of Sunday morning worship or the 15, 10 to 15 minutes that we spend each day with them in a, in a Bible app or on the Bible or praying, but by actually, by the way that we love others. By the way that we express our love for Him through wanting to allow Him to consume our thoughts and by loving other people, which is the third thing that we see in this little passage here. And that is to share the love with others. In verse 21, Jesus says that those who believe and live by the truth come to light and their works are shown to be accomplished by God. And these are not the same works as Paul talked about as we just went through that Galatians study, okay? Those works were there that people were coming in and saying that you were not saved unless you did these things. That's not what we're talking about here. These are not uh, uh, intended to save you type of works. Rather, they are works that are shown because of our love for the Father. I don't do these because I have to gain God's love. I do them because I love God. That's why we do works for God. And the point, they point people to Jesus, not make him more difficult to attain. We have to love the world the way that God loves the world. So, do we? We post things on Facebook about our politics, do we? We talk to our neighbor about things that are coming up. Do we really love them the way that God loves the world? Can we see past? the hurt, and love the world in its, all its unloveliness through all of the sorrow and all of the pain and all of the ways that it hurts us or others. Can we look past that and love the world the way that God does? You have to help the world see God through your example, through your service, and through your sacrifice. These are all ways that God showed His love to us through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus' example, through His service, and through His sacrifice. And this is the way that we should show His love to the world. Listen, if you love someone, you will do things to show them that love. Maybe occasional or routine. You might say to your wife, I love you, and, and take her out on dates. Or you might buy your kids presents or, some, or things like that. Gifts not at Christmas time just to express your love for them or do things. Mine is actually a routine I do. Every morning I cook breakfast for my family. I love to cook breakfast for my family. Mainly because I'm the only one that gets up that early. And I'm hungry. But I love my family too. And I know that if they get up and they get started and they have to think about breakfast and what to do, that that kind of starts the day off a little bit off. And so I love my family enough that I want them to have a great day and start their day off well. Listen, it is impossible to love someone with words only. There has to be action to display that love for that person. You, uh, you can't just simply say to somebody, I love you. Listen, there was a, a, a movie that my kids were watching uh, a couple of days ago called Nine Lives. It's an older movie, and uh, it's, it's weird, okay? I, I, I will try to explain it to you. If you get lost, don't worry about it. Just listen to the quote later on. But anyways, um, he, he says this. I mean, this, the, the guy goes and buys a cat. He's kind of a, a hard guy, and, and, um, and the, the, the cat shop owner somehow, like, switches his personality, the switches his personality into the cat's body, and, and he has to somehow, as a cat, like, make everything better, and he tells him, you gotta love, you know, you gotta say, you gotta love people, and um, so 
he kind of messes things up and his daughter goes back to give the cat back and she says, I think that he would be better off here rather than out on the street. They're going to take him away from us and probably kill him. And uh, so she brings it back to the shop owner. And as the, as the cat is sitting there, the dad is sitting there on the, on the counter, the shop owner looks at him and he says, you can't just say I love you. You have to show it. And sometimes showing it means sacrifice. Oh. <sighs> from the words of a secular movie come the heart of Jesus. You cannot say, just say, I love you. You have to show it and sometimes showing it means sacrifice. You cannot come in these doors and sing, Jesus, I love you and not show it. You cannot. You cannot. You can't say that to other people. I love the world. I love my neighbor. And not show it. You have to show it. So listen, there's three practical applications that we're going to do here. I'm going to give you three things and then we're going to close a little bit differently than we normally do. <laughs> what else is new? Um, but uh, here's three things that you can, uh, about, about this morning's sermon I want you to, to, just, to just grab onto. Listen, first the thing is know that you are loved by God. Know that you are loved by God. This may be the first time that you have ever heard that there's a God who created everything that loves you. You have value. You have worth. And the king of all creation loves you in spite of your failures. You don't have to be perfect for God to love you. He loves you just now. And some would ask, why would God love someone as, as, as sinful and as wretched as me? And truthfully, I don't know that there's an answer to that question. I, I really don't know that we can actually answer that question. Is there a way just to simply say, well, it's because of this X, Y, Z? I don't know. I don't know why God would choose to love dirt like us. But we are the crowning jewel and He does love us. He loves me. Do you know that He loves you? Do you know that He loves you? So know that you're loved by God. Fall in love with Jesus. Get out of the routine of Christianity. And fall in love with Jesus. Look, there's a couple of resources that I want to give to you this morning. Practical things. You can jot these down if you like. Uh, the first one is actually a book that I referenced a little earlier called Crazy Love by Francis Chan. It's been out for about 10 years or so now. And uh, this, was, this, this book hit me hard. Um, and, and it challenged me to think about the things that are in my life that I need to maybe think a little bit differently about so that I can spend more time in, just totally consumed and captivated by God's love for me. And I challenge you, if you, if you want a, a good, easy read, it, well, it's, the words are easy to read. Um, it's challenging. It's not easy to read in that way. Um, but I encourage you maybe to pick that up and, and read through that. Um, but also... Um, I will, I will also tell you, too, that um, uh, Version Bible app. Anybody, how many of you are on Version Bible app? Okay. Quite a few of you in here. If you're not, it's a, free, it's a free app that you get for your phone. It has uh, plans and things that you can get involved with that, that help you basically for anything, um, but also has, like, daily readings and things like that. Um, I, there's a, there's a, a, a Bible plan that, uh, that they have on John 3.16. It's a five-day plan. I'm going to start that tomorrow. I'm going to post the link on the church's Facebook page. 
And I encourage you just to come along with me. Let's read this together. Okay, if you've never done a group study before on, on, on version, it's actually quite fantastic. You, can, uh, you read this little devotion and you go, through, uh, you go through the verses that are there that are listed with that. And then at the end of that, you have the opportunity to make comments on the things that you've learned or grew from, uh, that, from that reading and that understanding. And so you can make comments, ask questions that you might be having again about that or, um, or, or you know, how, how do I go deeper in this? Uh, and so I, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, like I said, I'll post that this afternoon. So be looking for that this afternoon or this evening. Uh, it's a link. Just click on that and you can join this Bible plan. Uh, and we'll, let's do it together. Why not, right? Uh, let's grow together in this. And uh, the third thing with this is um, uh, along with, um, along with uh, 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 loving, loving Jesus is uh, falling in love with Jesus is also to, to uh, do life with other believers. You, you have to love Jesus. You have to love Christ's church, man. You can't love Jesus and not his church. And so we want to, we want to invite you to do that. I mentioned earlier uh, the way, one way to do that is through small groups. Um, get involved with a small group. Grow together with, with the community and the body of believers in a small group. Um, and then the final thing uh, is to share the love of Christ with others. I encourage you also to read through the book of 1 John. It's five chapters. probably take you like 25 minutes to do. It doesn't take long at all. And it's a great book just to help understand the love that God has for us, our response that we should have for God so that we can spread the love into the world. Like, that is the, that is the basic understanding of what First John is. And so read that in depth, man. Listen, go and help people with times are tough, whether that's neighbors or whether that's uh, friends or family. Like when, when, when people come to you seeking guidance and, and, and understanding about who God is, show them the love of God. Man, that might mean that you're going to sacrifice and lose a whole bunch of stuff. And you know what? It's just stuff. Just, but God, God loves them the same way that he loves you. And he wants you to show that love to them if you truly love God. And so I just encourage you that. Listen, we're going to... Um, we're going to close our, our service a little bit differently today. We usually have a, a time of response. We still are going to have that time, uh, but it's not going to be during a song. I'm simply going to close this up in prayer. And if you have some way, me, uh, I'll be up here and the elders will be up here. We also have some of our prayer teams that will be up here as well. If you need some encouragement over, over things that are going on in your life and you want to have somebody pray for you, come see one of, our, uh, one of our prayer team people. If you want to know a little bit more about this love that God has for you and unpacking what that means, maybe this is, like I said before, this is the first time you've heard about it, I would love to talk with you through that and work that journey through with you um, and, and help you understand that more. Or maybe you've got something that you just need to just kind of share uh, because you just don't feel like you're loving Jesus the way that you should. And look, come talk to one of our leaders. Come talk to me. We'd love to work with that through you and pray with that through you. Um, so let's all stand together. Uh, please don't forget to, um, we're going to throw this diagram up here uh, so that we can clear uh, the room and the tables and chairs uh, and get tables and chairs set up for the Hope Tree. But I'll be up here still nonetheless. Um, and I pray that you guys will have a great and